Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Oklahoma Songwriters Podcast, where each week we find out just what makes our Oklahoma songwriters tick. If you've ever been interested in the process of how songs get written, or if you're a songwriter looking for tips and inspiration, then you are in the right place. I do one-on-one interviews with your favorite Oklahoma artists and dig into why and how they write their music. I'm your host, Jared Voluch, and I'm very, very happy you're here. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Jared Voluch here, as always. And today is our part three final end of the year songwriting tips episode. Today will include cuts from Adam Miller's episode, JJ Wood, Justin Logan, Kirk Saffel, Blake Allen Lillard, Stacey Sanders. And yes, I am going to finally put my money where my mouth is, and we are going to play a song of my own and I'm going to tell you guys about it and how I wrote it. And, um, so yeah, let's have some fun today. All right. First up, we have an excerpt from Adam Miller. Now, Adam's an extremely smart guy. He, uh, he has some really, really cool philosophies on writing music. Um, and he was one of my favorite interviews to do for sure. Now he talks about writing songs and uh, his own songs. And when he talks about it, he talks about a philosophy that he has that he employs and realized really early on in his writing process. He talks about intentionally missing the target when you, and I has, first of all, how many of us have set out with a desire to write a certain song? a certain something. We're going for this certain idea or we have this, we listen to an artist and we're like, I have to write a song just like that. And so you set out and you start writing and you miss the target. I can't tell you how many times I've done that and how frustrated I've been because I could not hit my intended target. Listen to Adam describe what that is and how he embraced it and saw it as exactly what I come, what I've now come to believe it to be. You're supposed to miss. You're supposed to set up, aim for your target, and you're supposed to miss it whenever it comes to writing these songs. Um, uh, maybe if you're doing a commercial project, you have to hit something on the target, but this is for your own art is what I'm trying to get at. So please just, uh, I'll let Adam say it. He says it better than I can. Here you go. I started getting a guitar. That was it, man. So right at that time when I was thinking, I was trying to really act like my influence. And songwriting, yeah. I mean, when it gets down to it, it's, you're always trying to act like your influence, but you just kind of miss on purpose, and then you hit yourself, and that's who you are. That's what everybody does, <laughs> Yeah. in my opinion. This is my big philosophy about it, really. It's just that kind of idea that came from that. It's like, And that's what I learned when I was young. I was like, hey, I'm trying to sound like this. I'm not this person, so I'm not going to sound like this. Right. And you kind of come up to this edge where, you, in other words, you're doping your scope or you're, you're not gauging for windage or if you make, if that makes any sense because then you realize like, all right, and then you can actually kind of gauge for windage and pull it up. What song do I want to have? You ever hear a song like, I wish I wrote that? Okay, we'll take that song and study it. Now you're going to shoot for that song that you want to sound like. Yeah. And guess what? You're going to miss. Now, one of you could say, like, I missed, I stink, I suck, I suck, I stink. I didn't write the song I wanted to, right? Let's say you completed the song you even tried to. Well, guess what? You play that thing live and somebody loves it. Or mm-hmm. it's you're the only one that knew the intention of that song. But did you complete it? Yes. All right, shelve it. Let's go. You know, next thing. And that's the whole deal. You become more accurate or not. And the fact is, is that you do the exercise, one. And two, that, man, 
find it's, it's really it's like man there's so many kinds of songs i get turned on by so there was gracie what was his name isaac gracie who uh civilian as we called it earlier <laughs> or somebody at a show came up to me afterwards and was like hey do you know this artist no but i had a good conversation and i was like i'll follow your lead and i'll go listen to a track on my way to my next gig the next day to Stillwater." and i'm listening to it and i love this song called reverie and it's this pop most popular one on the thing but it's a slow and really creeping cool thing all right, I want to write, you know, I think I have a song like this already, but even then I'm like, I want to, I want to produce it like this, you know, and I, I'm just getting like samples of taste. I'm not copying anybody. No one, you know, that's the, that's the total mistake. It's when you don't copy, just be influenced by things. It's okay to be influenced by things. And you get in to uh, these artists, it's like, again, just, even if it's the next morning, you go like, man, all right, you put on BB King and you want to like try to mimic some blues thing, but you hit this other thing and that's you <laughs> wake up. That's yeah. you dude. Yeah. And, guess what? Like you're not always your type. In other words, everybody, and there's something to think about like in the dating industry. It's like, guess what? Just because you don't think you're attractive means like you're just not your type. If that makes any kind of sense. I love that. Kind of like when you uh, listen to your own voice sometimes and you're you don't like it. You're just not your type, dude. But somebody and that's else okay. loves it. Oh, man, there's a lot of people who love it. <laughs> and there's a lot of people, I mean, think of all the artists who had original or independent voice or, you yeah. know, everything. You're just not your type. because Eric Clapton's an easy example. You talked about that Billy all the Corgan, time. Corgan, I mean, it's Axl Rose, you know, and it's, it's specific. It's cool. It's different. But it's neat, you know. But, you know, who, who gave, you know, that person was probably fueled by a lot of other things to give him such an ego to say this voice is cool but from our more humble you know perspectives is that man you're just not your type but learn to to use your type you know learn to paint with your yeah. color if that makes any kind of sense and uh, and that's it man that's that's how you find it so there's people who cross that line and sound exactly like the people are imitating and they're very talented that's cool and there's you know in the meantime Try to find that average between stinking or what if you really hate yourself, like when you're like, <laughs> and you're like, and I sound exactly like that person. And in between there is you. And when you throw that that arrow or whatever that when you shoot, that's the accuracy I want. And so, all right. Next, we have a cut from my good buddy JJ Woods' interview, and he talks about a couple of things that are that are pretty cool. Um, he talks about getting comfortable. And his desire and the knowledge of himself that he doesn't want to get comfortable and he knows that he can't. And he explains it really, really well. Um, Another thing he talks about is his songwriting process. And what I love about doing this podcast is how many different perspectives and how many different views that I get on the exact same writing process that we all go through. We all basically write the same way we just go at it at like slightly different angles. I go at it at 90 degrees. JJ goes at it at 91. Adam Miller does it at 89. It's like we all have these slightly half-stepped views of, you know, that are one degree off that actually make huge differences in our writing styles and the way things come out. And it's really, really interesting. And so uh, listen to JJ's kind of theory about writing music and thinking of it, thinking of songs as catching fish. I thought it was actually, it was super neat. So I hope you guys enjoy it. That's one thing I I can't stand getting comfortable. You know what I mean? I like to struggle a little bit. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, oh shit, I only have $10 in my pocket. 
to like next week. Uh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Fuck it. Let's go out and have some beers. You know what I mean? Like live it up. I'll, it'll work out eventually. You yeah, know, I'll get drunk, uh, play on the sidewalk for a while. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we'll right. Um, I, but I don't, I don't like it. When you get too comfortable with stuff, you, you don't grow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm constantly like wanting to grow as a musician, as a person, as you know, everything. I agree. And, uh, I see that. I see that in you. Yeah. So it's just getting comfortable. Like I've never wanted like any job that I've ever had. I've never wanted to take a management position. Like I was like, man, I just want to do my job, do what I got to do, get paid and then go home and play music and then go play the show next week. You know, like that's always kind of what I've wanted to do. Um, and I think the thing about me is that like, I never gave up, you know, Yeah. and I'm not going to. It's like you know you gotta you gotta kill the idea that uh, um, you have to be successful by a certain age. You know what I mean? A lot of people are like, "Dude, you're supposed to be married. You're 25, and you know, buy a house by the time you're 30." Like, no, fuck no, dude. Like, you know, I don't want to do that. I think I really started taking songwriting seriously when I was about 18, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, about 18, I really took that seriously. And it's one of those things, like, I would just wake up and just try to write every day. Right. Just, like, I'm kind of more of, like, an early morning writer mm, Okay. sometimes. But I'm the same way, actually, and you're one of the first people I've had yeah. come on that have said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like, morning writing, like, writing is just weird for me in general uh, because songs are, songs are weird. I kind of... I'm a believer that we don't write the songs. Right. You know what I mean? I get, like, I it's just kind of like a, like the song just kind of comes, we're just like a vessel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but songwriting to me, like the best analogy I could give is like, it's like fishing. You know what I mean? You, you cast out and you just kind of sit there and wait. <laughs> and then sometimes you get a little nibble and you're like, oh shit. And then, you know, nothing. And then sometimes, uh, you know, you'll reel in like a little tiny fish, you know, uh, Sometimes you'll get like, you know, a decent size. And I think we're all just trying to, I think my, my songwriting goal is to like pull in like a marlin or like yeah, a swordfish, pull in that one stuff, stuff it, yeah. and just like stash it on my mantle, you know, maybe try and catch like yeah. 10 or 12 of those. You know? That'll be the gold record. <laughs> right. The gold record or a Grammy or right. something like that, yeah. you know, like, uh, but, and what's, what's really deep about this is you can either fish in like the rivers or like a lake, or you can go deep sea fishing and go to the ocean. Yeah, that's deep. Blows your mind. <laughs> Blue mind. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but songs, like, I could be like going to sleep, just had like a long day, and all of a sudden I just get this idea, just kind of hits me, and I'm like, oh shit, oh, <laughs> write yeah. it down. But then I'll write for about 30 minutes, and then like it just kind of goes away. Sometimes, no, I just go yeah. back to sleep. Like they're just I can see that. they're weird things. Like I uh, sometimes I'll just be like listening to a, a new song on my on my Spotify or whatever, and um, I kind of catch an idea for a song. Like oh, like they said this, but it kind of sounded like this. So I I, I kind of like this line or whatever. Um, let's just kind of work with that. And then sometimes I'll just. Uh, I'll learn a song, like learn like the chord progression and then kind of add my own little spin to it and just kind of right. fuck around with that. Cause a lot of the times, man, if you just sit there and you just like play a certain 
chord progression and stuff on guitar, like eventually like a song's going to come out. Like you're going to, Oh yeah. Something's going to pop out like a little like, like, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah, you'll, you'll develop yeah. that melody. You'll start hearing something or bits and pieces of yeah. a thousand different songs that you've heard and they come together and make something new. Right. Right. That's cool. Yeah. So that, uh, but I like to, uh, I like to wake up every day and I, I like to write, um, just free write like three, just three pages, just blah, 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 blah. If I have to, you know, just like, yeah, like literally just writing whatever, just writing, get all like the clutter out of my mind, like first thing in the day and then kind of be clear minded throughout the day. Yeah. I meditate a lot too. That that kind of helps out. Like kind of like, I don't get distracted as much when I'm writing songs. All right, on this next interview, I was with Justin Logan down in Ada at his recording studio, The Cabin, um, which is a a really, really interesting, cool space to create and record music. Um, And if you guys are ever in need, go check him out. Um, He does great work. Now, uh, with Justin, we talk about something that is uh, very near and dear to my heart, and that's metronomes. If you are a songwriter, musician of any kind, and you're not practicing with a metronome. Well, first of all, if you're not practicing, then you need to be practicing. Uh, But with a metronome, metronomes are probably the most important tool for any musician because it teaches you how to play along to something else. It teaches you to play along with not your own internal compass guiding you, which is hugely important for not only yourself and for playing with other people, but also in recording environments where you're playing to a click, a click track. Um, so, I mean, just please use a metronome. So we're going to talk about that here, but we also talk about something that we've already talked about. And, uh, Justin calls it the mind's ear in this. And it's, it's basically the same thing that I talked about in, uh, two segments ago with Adam Miller, where you aim for a target you hear an idea of what you desire to create musically and you miss, you don't hit that target dead on and it's because you're not supposed to. And I, I just really enjoyed Justin's take on this same concept. And, um, I think you guys will too. So here we go. It's cool to be able to, to have the access to, you know, the talented people that I've had around me a lot of the times that have shown me how to get better at music and stuff. And like, I think that being able to play drums and like the rhythm and everything else, like makes guitar playing better in a way oh, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like my right hand, I, it's like part of a drum set sometimes, you know, you know what? That's uh that's one of the most beneficial things to it. I, I have a really good sense of rhythm and pocket feel when I play, but that's because I, I was raised classically and so I played with a metronome my entire say, metronome. life. Yeah, my metronome was what grounded me. Mm-hmm. And so even now, like I have a your internal a natural meter, and I know mm-hmm. whenever I screw up and misstep. And you know, a lot of times people aren't playing with me, but I know that if people are playing with me, I have to stay on target. Yep. Or you need to know when you stumble how to get back on. And who's in who's time. one is the one. Right. Who's number one on the measure is the one. Like who we following. Yeah. I was default to the drummer. Drums always. <laughs> I find sometimes, and I can tell with you know five seconds into a song playing with somebody for the first time, how their meter is and how everything is and where their natural instinct is, you know, because mm-hmm. people, the first time they play with you, even if they're not nervous, like 
they're going to put their bad habits on display, like, from the jump, unless you guys have already rehearsed together and done this and that. So, like, you can see when people are pushing or pulling or, like, what the, you know, it's just easy to tell. But the people that grew up with metronomes in their ears and developing that sense of time inside, like, those are the people that have an easier time on stage or in a mm-hmm. recording environment and stuff like that. Like, that's the best thing you can do for your musical career is just put a metronome in your head and go to sleep with it in your head and wake up and just, like, that way you understand what steadiness is, you know. And once you understand what steadiness is, that's when you can start kind of letting the letting it breathe, like, you know, the Steve Jordans of the world and stuff like that. Yeah. But you need to be able to lock in on it first, in my opinion. Well, that's huge. Um, and studying rhythm was what? And then having, like... I, there are plenty of guitar players that can rip a riff really, really fast, but can they do it in time consistently? Because the metronome is what exposes you to your own faults. Yes. It's it when does. you realize that I speed up through this little section of four notes and then I slow down on this next four because it's a little harder because it's this jump or whatever. And then it, you force yourself to go with it. And then eventually that's when something sounds smooth and perfect yep. and polished and all that when stuff. It's, when it's riding on top of the groove instead of mm-hmm. just trying to figure out where the groove is the whole time. Yeah. And that's another thing is like when your internal tempo is really good, it makes the space between notes less awkward for you. And that's really important because if you don't have that space between notes, like anybody can learn how to play 16th note runs that don't have any breaks, but it's harder to learn something that's musical and melodic and rhythmic in a way that like the space is there. But if you back to what I was saying with the internal time and stuff, like if you're counting and you're sure of the beat and you're not worried about it, then your entry isn't going to be late or early because you've taken your nerves out of the equation. You've taken the thinking out of it and you're just existing waiting for that note to come in or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It just kind of naturalizes it. Yeah. And you got to have that. Got to, or at least I hope if you're going to, Keep doing this business, then yeah, yeah, you gotta do it. If you want to record music, you're probably gonna have to figure that out. I wonder, you said something about uh, what you hear in your head and like the mind's ear. I've been really fascinated by that lately because only within the last few years, like that, I discovered that not everyone has such like a pronounced radio in their head. Like, you know what I mean? It's like it almost makes you feel crazy sometimes, like the inability to shut the thing off and stuff, but. Oh yeah. What's what has like your experience has been with trying to match that to what you get out of it, like on a recording, trying to trying to sync up the two and maybe reconcile the differences. Uh, very rare. Well, I've never hit the target dead on. Um, as far as what I hear in my mind versus what I produce, and I've come to understand for me, I'm never going to get to that. And I'm not supposed to. Um, so that's not the finish line for you? No, it's never been the finish line. A lot of times, especially when I involve other people in, the, in my process um, and they add their own elements, I find that I've produced products far superior mm-hmm. than to what my, even, my own mind's ear thought it could be. Um, but I've, yeah, I, just, I let that go a long time ago. And that's a really healthy thing for songwriting. I love what I am able to do because a lot of times, yeah, it, like I, I'll, I'll aim it out in the distance and then I just start marching there. And then where I arrive is where I was meant to arrive. And it's not necessarily, it's never really been a less quality product, but it's never, some things just aren't, I don't know. It's, it's like the, 
wanting, you have this perfect idea of getting what you want. But even if you got what you wanted, it wouldn't have been Yeah, what you, you wouldn't wanted. have been satisfied. With you it. wouldn't have been satisfied. I think some of it is we can't actually hear it in our head. Mm. We hear a vague idea of a part. But mm-hmm. like, if you really think about like, what is that sound that I hear in my head? Is it a guitar? Is that texture thing that's floating around in my head? Like, is that what I'm actually hearing? Or is that what my brain is just simplifying it into? So like, mm. if it's changing that much, then... You know, a lot of people are saying, well, that's not how I heard it in my head. And it's like, well, what are you hearing in your head? Like, you try to describe it better or learn the language of communicating music and stuff so you can. But, like, I th- I think that it changes. I think it tricks us a lot of times. And it's, like, constantly evolving and kind of escaping our grasp sort of as, like, a way to move the move the ball along. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a song that I recorded myself with the, my band and... Um, it's called Handle It. And what we did is there's this one section that I'm super proud of because I did all the vocals for that song. And um, I had a vague idea that I wanted like a three-part harmony behind this line that I was doing. What I wound up doing is actually having a three-part harmony over my four, or or, over my, my, uh, my, whatever, my melody. And I actually had them kind of follow it, but in a weird way. And it wound up being so much cooler because I just screwed around. Yeah. And you took just a rough idea. Yeah. I took a rough idea, a vague thing, and I just pointed my direction. Like, I just, I know I want it here. And I know that I want something thick and fat and full and kind of funky. And so I just was like, you know, I don't even know what tones I use. I'm sure I used a a three, a five, and a seven or something on it. And uh, even a lower harmony with it as well. And it just like, just beefs it up. It beefed it up so much and made it so powerful. That's it's my favorite moment in the song. And with uh with people like us, we don't have favorite songs. We have we have favorite, favorite ten second mm-hmm. you know portions of songs where it's like that, that's it right there. There's, and somebody will hear it and they'll be like, I mean, yeah, sounds that was cool. cool. And you're like, no, you don't understand. Like you don't know <laughs> the magic that happened yeah. in that moment. I had Charlie standing in the hallway and I put this microphone six feet from him so we could do this thing and like whatever, you know, whatever it is. But that's the sentimental stuff that I wish people could experience of records, like the occurrences of recording them and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I'm endlessly fascinated with the behind the scenes stuff with music. So, hey guys, this uh, this next segment is from Kirk Saffel's interview and it's this is the story behind his song Look Into My Eyes and if you haven't heard that you should definitely check out his episode and check out his song Look Into My Eyes on that um probably one of the best performances I've ever been able to capture um from someone and if you I I think everyone can take something away from it um now on this story I'm just going to let him kind of take it but it's just a it's just a great real true story about a human being and i really enjoyed listening to him kind of describe the way he uh came about writing look into my eyes so here we go and then i started kind of meditating on on a person um which in this case was Soren Kierkegaard. <laughs> I, was, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a, one of the first existential uh, philosophers mm-hmm. and uh, philosophers. And um, he was a guy that, like, I just was intrigued by the story. He was basically was in love with this gal, right? 
and he was going to marry her. He was going to have his life just set. He was going to become like a, what are they called? Like a, a little pastor of a little parish, you mm-hmm. know, he was going to have a little bit of money. They're going to live. They're going to be happy. He was in love. Da, 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 da. He happened to be brilliant. Right. And had an offer to go to Germany or somewhere besides where he was. I think in the Netherlands, something like that. And, uh, so yeah, he decided to go to school and leave her, but then in his writings in the future, he just regretted it, regretted mm-hmm. it. Like he kept bringing her up in all of his writings, right? Just over and over and over again. And I kept thinking, I was like, damn, this fool is just like, like how much of a regret, like, sure. You like, like basically created a genre of philosophy, you know, uh, which totally led to Hegel and. Nietzsche and like all these guys in the future. Right. But that didn't really help him. You know, <laughs> like no. he was in love and he left her and then he got to see her live a happy life and it was miserable. And then anyway, so the song was kind of became like a, what if, like, what if he just didn't go that direction? Hmm. So, which I could relate to cause my wife and I, you know, with, she's a very motivated, ambitious person. And you know, I, um, want to be an ambitious person, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I'm my own worst enemy on that. But, um, but there's these longings that we have. And so that's kind of, you know, I was looking at a story and I was literally putting my kids to bed, you know, writing the song, you know, I had it, had the melody in my head and I was just, they were slowly falling asleep, dazing off, you know, type of thing. And I was just writing down the song. So I remember it clearly. You know, I see p- parallels in, you know, these certain characters in throughout history, you know, or even in literature or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I really place myself in their shoes, you know, S- especially certain people like him. Like he yeah. came from a very religious background. I knew a lot about his history and, um, you know, that desire to be more than what you are you know, or to where, be more than where you came from. Um, you know, and there's sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it can destroy the good part of you, you know? Oh yeah. Um, if it goes to the extreme and, um, you know, like I can't say whether it did actually get him, but it, it, it just seemed like he just couldn't get over it. And I, worried that I would um, do the same in, in my life with my wife. I mean, we've had, we're both wild people, like I said, and, yeah. and if you meet her, you'll never think wild, but I, what, that's, I'm using that phrase meaning like uh, um, we're a bit volatile in our emotions towards each other sometimes, you know, right. and what we want out of life for ourselves and for each other. And, um, you know, there've been multiple moments and anytime you're in a long-term relationship, there's going to be moments where you go left or you go right, you know? Yeah. And, um, we were, you know, <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Loudest dog ever. Yeah. He doesn't but, know how to drink uh, <laughs> But he, uh, but I like, uh, I wrote that song, like uh, thinking about him, you know, he's long dead. Um, I don't, I mean, 
I appreciate existentialism, but it's, it's really his life that has uh, inspired me. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I feel like I chose his other path, you know? So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's where, uh, you know, sometimes that, that anger that, uh, you know, I've, I've heard somebody say, they're like, man, your love song sounds so angry. I don't, I don't know if you really are trying to like write love songs, but you're not quite getting there. And I'm like, I, I told the guy, I was like, and you don't understand. Love. I was, yeah. I said, <laughs> I, have you been in love? <laughs> you know? And so, um, you know, for me, that's, that's just where that song came from. You know, yeah. those, those, uh, complicated emotions I was trying to capture. So. All right. Next we have Blake Allen Lillard's interview. Now I selected this piece of his interview because it shows and talks about something that I think has happened to every songwriter. And this, this is the moment that you've had when songwriting becomes about more than just yourself and just your stories. He, uh, he wrote a story for his friend's grandfather who passed away. And that song changed the way he wrote from that point forward. And it changed the trajectory of his songwriting. And I feel like it's just a really cool story and it it's, he tells it incredibly well. Um, and if you have not heard of Blake Allen Lillard yet, I hope that you do. He's out of Tulsa and you should check him out and you should follow him. Um, he's a young guy and has an amazing, amazing country kind of like classic country uh, voice. And his songwriting is, it's fantastic. So enjoy. I think I was 17, maybe 18. I might've been 18 at the time. One of my buddies lost his grandpa, um, and they were they were burying him and stuff. And um, I remember my friend reaching out to me, and he was telling me that he wanted a song to like remember his grandpa by. And um, I just I was on my way to work one day. I was still in high school, but I I had worked at a bank. I was a teller there, and um, I was driving on my way to work from school, and um, I just wrote the song in my truck, like on the way back. I had gotten a truck by this time, or I think I had a truck by that time. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I had a Ford at some time, but um, I I was in my vehicle to say the least, and uh, I wrote it like from the way from Claremore to Pryor, which is a twenty minute drive, and um, that was like that's the first song that I ever wrote that had a response mm-hmm. to it, you know. Like, I mean, I had others in between the three that were the same with the raised keys um, and then this other song. Um, But that was like the very first one that people actually responded to that I noticed, you know, and people were like, that's a really good song. And like, I guess it meant so much because like that was my buddy and like everyone kind of knew the situation. Um, But yeah, that was that was the first time I ever wrote something that was like meaningful and you uh, went into a different gear yeah, when you wrote that. For sure. Um, it wasn't just bull crap, you know. Like Yeah. Cause back then I was listening to Wiz Khalifa, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Like I didn't know how to write a song. I was I was just, you know, partying up and stuff. And then I finally wrote something that like had some heart to it. And um I got to play that song at the FFA convention in Oklahoma City, mm. uh, twenty fourteen. And um 
that was my senior year of high school. And it wasn't, that wasn't much longer after his grandpa had passed away. I mean, it was, that was in like April or May of our senior year. And I think his granddad passed away like maybe back in, it was like January, maybe February. But, um, I played that on like one of the last evenings there. And there was like, if you've ever been to the convention center there, the FFA convention, like, I mean, every single chapter of the FFA in Oklahoma goes there. So like, there was like literally like over 10,000 people filling that, that convention center is at the Cox convention center. And, um, I played it for all those people. And like, I got a standing ovation from over like 10,000 people. And it was, it, it was just insane because like, I've never felt like I was anything extraordinary and I still don't, but like to have that kind of moment. Yeah. Where people like appreciate what you were doing and what you wrote. Um, and it meant a lot to me because of the situation and stuff. And I mean, um, that song, I still play that song when I'm out and stuff. And, um, actually, uh, a person on Instagram, I'm not sure who they are. Um, they put those lyrics, um, on a post of like a picture with, it was like this woman and this man. And I assumed that he had passed away or whatnot. And they put those lyrics on there and like they said that this song's really getting me through this, you know, and wow. like it, you know that that was really cool to me because like I mean, it it means a lot when you can write something that people aren't just like woo, let's you know <laughs> smash a thirty pack, like you know like yeah, you know like they're like actually benefiting from something, and so yeah. All right, now we've got Stacy Sanders' interview. Um, I selected this portion from his interview because it offers a lot of gems in a really short amount of time. Uh, Stacy uh, Sanders is a fantastic guitarist, fantastic lyricist, great singer. Um, he has music available on Spotify. Uh, I got to go spend the day with him and his wife out in, in Enid, just hanging out, song swapping, and doing this interview. And they are two of the nicest people I've ever met. So I'm just going to let Stacy take it away. So if you had, we're kind of getting, we're marching towards the end of this here now. Um, if you had any kind of tips or any advice for songwriters out there that maybe you'd, that you could impart today, um, is there anything that you would tell them? Yeah. Um, kind of like I alluded to before, experience new things in life, travel, taste different foods you've never tried before, different drinks, um, read. You just, you just have to, you know, you have to keep up on, um, I, I, I'm speaking from experience. I like keeping up on, uh, you know, learning a bigger vocabulary. Yeah, that's you know, very helpful. Uh, not using the same phrases over and over. Uh, just you have to experience life, especially. And I had a, a fellow songwriter who's in his early twenties ask me these questions, and I, I I try to be thoughtful and write them down, and and I gave him some of those some of those tips. You know, just just try to experience new things in life. Love that. Come out of a shell. 
Yeah. Whenever I, I do find that from time to time, like if I'm not reading mm-hmm. as much as I usually do, mm-hmm. which already is a very sparse amount. Yeah. Um, same for me. But even that small little bit, it like without it, I'll forget my vocabulary mm-hmm. and I'll forget words like that whenever you're writing just can come to you in a moment. Sure. Versus needing to dig in yourself to find, you know, simple but beautiful words that fit. Yeah. And as a song, as a lyricist, I find no shame in using a thesaurus. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> a dictionary. Uh, come on, man. You know, just, just to be able to think of things on your own, sometimes you need a little a little help, a little nudge from, you know, from the books. Well, and it's good to dig like that. If you get into a moment where you can't think of something to finish out a phrase, like I think it's, it's a great break from the moment to sidetrack into, you know, oh, I'm breaking out the thesaurus so that I can make my brain change direction for a moment and then come back. And that's it. That concludes our end of year songwriting tips. First of all, thank you everyone for listening this season. It's been a hell of an adventure and I look forward to bringing you more interviews in 2020. Now, before I talk about the song I'm going to share with you all, I'll talk a little bit about myself for anyone out there that doesn't know me. My name is Jared Veluch, and I'm currently 32 years old. I love writing, recording, and playing music. I've been incredibly blessed to find a way to do it for a living through playing weddings and gigging. I grew up playing saxophone from middle school on and later picked up the guitar in high school. I played some in college before leaving for the military. Um, I worked on airplanes for the Air Force before finally leaving that world behind to pursue my passions in music. I've been searching for my place in it um, ever since. This podcast has been incredibly eye-opening for myself in several ways. In service to my fellow musicians and songwriters, I've found something truly beautiful. I've been more excited and inspired by trying to lift up the people that I believe in than I could have ever imagined. Songwriters and artists in general are very special people. We're complicated, intelligent, beautiful, passionate, and at times incredibly frustrating. Um, I've been writing since I was a teenager and have fought a lot of battles as many of us have. I've struggled with depression for a lot of my life and fought alcoholism for a lot of it as well. I've been clean and sober for quite a while now and take steps on making sure I stay that way daily. As someone that has to fight demons daily, I know that we all need love, support, and for people to believe in us when we can't always believe in ourselves. This podcast for me is for more than just raising awareness of Oklahoma songwriters and their beautiful stories. It's about supporting them and reminding them that we believe in them and love the work that they do. To all my songwriter friends out there, I love you and I believe in you. Never stop writing. Never stop believing in yourself. And if you do, that's okay. Because I do. Now, it's time for me to put my money where my mouth is. The song I've decided to share with you all today is titled Hate to Arrive. Now, the reason I've chosen this particular song is for a couple of reasons. Number one is that it's a song I've referenced several times because it was an interesting case for me. Number two is that it's a song that was very healing for me to write. This song took somewhere in the ballpark of three or more years to write. The progression is simple. It's just a 1-4-5 in the key of G. The story itself, though, was one that took a long time for me to get out. I came up with the opening line of it when uh, one day I broke down crying in my kitchen 
after ending my engagement with my fiance of about three years. Um, it's about how strong the desire is that we have to not hurt people. I believe every time we break someone's heart, we must break our own. It's about how we learn so much about our partners in life the way no one else can. How they feel, smell, how they act in public versus when we're at home alone with them. How they look in the morning when they first wake up, uh, when their breath is still awful, but you love them anyways, and in fact, (laughs) it doesn't even bother you. It's about learning all those things about another person and then having it all fall apart. The tagline and theme of the song, We Love to Travel, But We Hate to Arrive, is about that very journey. This recording, like most of the recordings on this podcast, is a one-take recording, meaning I just set up a microphone and let you go. One take, one chance, raw, and real. I hope you guys enjoy my song, and thank you so, so much for listening to the podcast. Oh, we love to travel, but we hate to arrive. And if I do it right Tomorrow will never come Cause I'm too tired Of moving forward I wanna stay right here But I won't have to hurt you I live forever and I won't have to face you. Yeah, I'll drive in silence, trying to forget you. Cause we don't travel. Oh, but we hate to arrive. But has a fear of speaking truth She can't get the words out She's too afraid she's gonna lose And in my heart I wish She could say something more We weren't good at talking I wish we tried a little more now it's cool and it's quiet I hear the motor and the road My headlights keep reaching out Just far enough to keep me going 
Yeah. 